Well, welcome again. Thanks for joining us on our live stream again this week. And I want to say happy Mother's Day to those of you who are watching at home. And I actually want to give a shout out, if I could, to all the different kind of mothers that we have watching here on our live stream and part of our church. And so I actually made a list. And so um, watching right now, we have single moms. Um, we also have moms who are empty nesters and your kids have moved out and maybe today on Mother's Day, you're wishing that you could be close to them and see them. We have moms who are working full time right now from home since this coronavirus quarantine happened. And you're also trying to be a mom to your kids who are also home right now. Uh, we also have women who desperately want to be moms, but they can't. And maybe for you, today stirs up all kinds of emotions, and we just want you to know we see you too. Uh, we also have moms who are hurting deeply because they've gone through the horror of losing a child. We also have moms who have adopted or moms who have blended a family, and you're navigating through all the complications of that. We have moms of teenagers who don't feel very appreciated right now, and I promise you one day they will appreciate you. They really will. Uh, we also have moms of preschoolers, and frankly, you just want to take a nap right now if you're a mom of a preschooler. And so here's my gift to you. You can. You can lay your head back and close your eyes and just take a nap for the rest of this sermon if you want. Uh, that's my gift to you for Mother's Day. It's a live stream, right? I can't see you anyway, so you might as well just go for it. So I just want to say to all of you who are moms, we appreciate you. We could not do what you do, and I hope today is a day that you're able to just be uh, filled with joy as you reflect on all that God's blessed you with. Uh, today we're going to be jumping into a story in Mark chapter 14. If you've got a Bible there at home with you or, or an app on your phone for the Bible app, would love for you to meet me in Mark chapter 14. Jesus is in the last week of his life and he is gathered uh, for dinner at the home of a friend and there's a mysterious guest who crashes the party. That's what we're going to look at today. So join me. This is Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with an alabaster, a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and she poured the perfume over his head. So let's just pause there and, and just take in this scene for a moment, if we could. So it's this public meal. People are there. And this woman comes in and sort of crashes the party carrying this beautiful alabaster jar filled with very expensive perfume made from the essence of pure nard. And so if you can get this picture in your head, Luke's gospel account of this story actually gives us this, this detail. He says that she was a woman who lived a sinful life. In other words, this woman had a past. So when she walks in, people would have instantly known who she was. They would have said, oh, it's her, and they would have known details about her past, about sins that, that had gone on in her life. And what this woman does is she walks right into the middle of this scene, and she doesn't care what it looks like, doesn't care what other people are thinking as they're looking at her, and she takes this alabaster jar and she breaks it. 
Now, you didn't have to break the alabaster jar. Probably the seal was the only thing that you had to break, but she breaks the entire jar. So picture being there in this moment as this jar is broken and she begins to anoint Jesus with this perfume. Imagine you're watching this and all of a sudden the room just explodes with this aroma. Everybody, it just, it just overwhelms you with this scent. And she is anointing Jesus with this perfume. And what's happening here in this moment, it's, it's very raw, it's very emotional, and it's just sort of this overpowering moment. This jar sort of represents her. It's a symbol for herself. She's broken. She's poured out. Uh, she comes to Jesus in this moment without any sort of religious pretense, without any sort of pride or arrogance about her. She doesn't care what it looks like. She is just broken and poured out before Jesus. If I can give you an understanding of what's happening here in this moment, this is an act of pure worship. That's what's happening in this moment. She is worshiping Jesus. She is coming to him and she is adoring him. She's honoring him. This is one of the most beautiful and powerful and emotional acts of pure worship that you find in the entire New Testament. But not everybody in the story was pleased with what they were seeing. So let's, let's keep going. The story continues. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Which, if you think about it, I guess is what we're doing right now. The story concludes this way. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So this moment, this event where this woman appears and breaks this alabaster jar in this beautiful, pure act of worship to Jesus, this is the moment, the straw that finally breaks the camel's back, if you will, for Judas to, uh, to decide to leave and to betray Jesus. This event is the moment where he decides to go to the chief priests and the religious leaders, and they end up giving him 30 pieces of gold silver to betray Jesus, so Jesus is arrested. So what was it about this moment that caused Judas to go this direction? What was it about this act of worship that, that ruffled so many feathers in the room? What you have to understand here in this moment is that there's this paradox happening that Mark wants us to see in the story. And so to understand the paradox, you have those at the table, and those at the table appear to care about the poor, right? When they see this happening, they say, oh, what a waste. Does she waste this expensive perfume? You know, instead, she could have just sold the jar of perfume and taken that money and given it to the poor. So they appear to care about the poor, but really, they're the ones who are greedy. Judas is like them. They have money. He wants it. And this moment is disgusting to him as well. He's frustrated that Jesus doesn't, you know, interact in a different way and rebuke this woman. And so this is the moment that finally pushes him over the edge to leave and go betray Jesus. 
The other paradox that's happening is this woman appears to care only about herself. So in this moment, she wastes this entire, you know, expensive jar of perfume. She, it appears like she's only thinking about herself. But according to Jesus, she is the generous one. She's the one who is acting in, in this overwhelmingly generous way. And Jesus rebukes the other and said, don't, don't uh, scold her. Don't tell her not to do what she's doing. You can take care of the poor anytime you want. But he says what she's actually doing in this moment, this act of worship, that's the priority. That's what she should be doing. That's the most important thing. That's what Jesus suggests. Now, what was it about this moment? What was Jesus seeing in this moment that made him respond that way? In order to understand that, you have to understand a little bit more about this alabaster jar of perfume and what it was in the ancient world and what it meant to a person to have a jar like this. So on your screen is going to appear an image. This is actually an alabaster jar that would have been used for perfume that was uh, found in an archaeological dig. It's probably around between 2,000 to 2,500 years old. And it was, it was found in the same region um, as, as this story takes place. And basically what we know about these alabaster jar perf jars of perfume is that this would have been an expensive gift that someone would have saved for a special occasion. Most likely, it would have been saved for your wedding day and for a marriage ceremony. So it would have been like a bride gift that she would have saved and held onto and given uh, to her husband on the day of their marriage. In fact, nard, which is what the uh, perfume was made out of, nard is talked about in the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is a love poem that you find in the Old Testament between a man and a woman. And nard is referred to in Song of Solomon as a symbol of the intimate relationship between a husband and wife. So as a woman, you would have saved an alabaster jar of perfume like this for this very special occasion for your wedding day for your future husband. And so in this moment, when she comes in and breaks the, this alabaster jar of perfume and she, you know, begins to anoint Jesus with it, it would have been strange. It would have been uncomfortable. But notice what Jesus said about that moment. What Jesus said when he, when he responds to the people at the table is he said, don't, don't uh, scold her for doing what she's doing. She's done a beautiful act for me. And then what he says is, she poured this perfume on me to prepare me for my burial. So the reason Jesus says that is because perfume and spices were also used in the burial process. So a few weeks ago when we looked at the resurrection story, when it talks about the women who came to the tomb early on Sunday morning, they were coming with perfume and spices to anoint Jesus' dead body with, uh, with perfume. That's what they were doing. And so Jesus recognizes what she's doing, and, and he's moved by this act of worship. Essentially, what's happening in this moment is this woman, she knew something that the rest of the people around the table didn't know yet. She understood something about Jesus that everybody else in the room hadn't come to understand yet. What she understood is that Jesus had come to die. She understood that Jesus had come to offer himself in a sacrificial death for the sin of the world on the cross. That's what she understood about that moment. 
Again, Luke says she was a woman with a sinful life. She had lived a sinful life. She was aware of her sins. She, she was aware of how other people saw her and the other people were aware of her sins. And she understood that Jesus had come to be a savior to offer himself in a sacrificial death on her behalf for her sin personally. She understood that. And in this moment, with breaking this alabaster jar, what she is saying is, I know why you are here, Jesus. I understand what you're about. And she's saying, I am all in. I'm holding nothing back. I'm reserving nothing for my future, hanging on to nothing of value that I might be able to, to keep for the future. I am all in. I'm giving everything to you. It's all yours. Can you understand why Jesus was so moved by this act of worship? Can you understand why he responded the way he did? This was this very beautiful act of worship that, that she did to symbolize her full surrender to him for what he was going to do on the cross. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. And if you understand this, this story just comes alive. And not just this story, but what worship is and what worship can be in our lives actually comes alive if you can understand this. Here's the question. Had Jesus done it yet? Had Jesus died for her sins yet? The answer, of course, is no. This was a few days before uh, he went to the cross and died for the sins of the world. So uh, at this point, he had not died for her yet. So she is breaking this alabaster jar and she is worshiping him for something he has yet to accomplish on her behalf. She's worshiping him for something that he has not done yet in her life. She honors him before he dies. I've never understood why we wait until someone's funeral to talk about how much we love them and how much they meant to us. She's literally worshiping Jesus right now in the midst of her reality. She's known as a sinful woman. She's worshiping him for his death on the cross that he has yet to do for her. So here's the question. Worship is powerful in our lives. Worship elevates our relationship with God. It, it's how we connect with God. It, it's how we find hope in this world. Worship is, is the most powerful tool we have in connecting with God and finding hope in our, our lives. Here's the question I want to ask you. When is the most important time to worship? When is the most important time to worship? Most people would answer that question by saying, well, of course, after God answers a prayer, right? <laughs> after God does something, that's the most important time to worship. It's, it's most important to, to worship right after God, you know, answers the prayer that we, that we would get pregnant. We find out we're pregnant. That's the time to worship God. After the baby's born, you know, after the graduation, we worship because finally they made it through high school and they managed to get through. After we get the job, after we win the game, after God answers the prayer, that's when most of us would say that's when we worship. And so some insist that worship is something that we do in response to what God has done for us. I've actually heard people define worship that way. Worship is something, it's a, a response. It's something we do in response to what God has done on our behalf, to what God has done in history, to what he's done in creation. We respond to God by worshiping him, to thank him for what he's done in the past. And that's true. The problem is that's only half true. 
Worship is not just a response. Worship is also something we do in anticipation of what God is going to do in our lives for the battle that he's already won, for the victory he has already won on our behalf. Worship is not just a response. It is also anticipation. Worship is not something that we do just after God answers our prayer. Worship is something we do before God moves on our behalf. It's an act of faith sometimes that we believe God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do in our lives. And so I would say the most important time to worship is actually before we see the victory. The most important time to worship in our lives is before we see the victory, before God answers the prayer, before you are declared cancer-free. That's the most important time to worship. Before you find out whether or not you're pregnant, that's the time to worship. Before God moves on your behalf, that is the most important time for us to learn how to worship. And here's why that is. When you understand the gospel, when you come to a place where you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you've allowed him to be Lord of your life, what happens is you don't just worship him for what he's done in the past, but you begin to learn how to worship him for what he will do in your future. So no matter, no matter what's happening to you in your life right now, no matter what difficult thing is taking place, no matter what struggle is going on, none of it can touch you. None of it can ultimately shake you to the foundation of who you are because Jesus has already won the victory for you. He's already won that victory. And so we worship not just because he already answered a prayer or two. We worship him no matter what our circumstances. It's always important to worship because we worship him in anticipation of what he's going to do for the victory he's already won on our behalf. Let me try to illustrate this for you if I could. Uh, I remember when I was a kid I, getting sick in the middle of the night. I can't remember how old I was, but I woke up in the middle of the night. I had the stomach flu. And I, I remember I, I puked in the bed and I was crying and upset. And I remember my mom was right there. We're like, she's right there in the room. She's changing the sheets on the bed. She's rubbing my back. She's, you know, giving words of comfort. She's analyzing what it was that made me sick. That's why my mom always says, well, I wonder what it was that made you sick. And I mean, she was there, right there with me in that moment. And I, something I never understood was where was my dad in that moment? Where was he? And it wasn't until many years later when I became a father myself and my kids got sick with the stomach flu in the middle of the night that I finally understood where my dad was in that moment. He was pretending to be asleep. That's where he was. And so I, I think I can get an amen from all the fathers out there. Now, fast forward a, a few years from that, um, early years of, you know, like middle school, early teen years, I remember I began to ask my mom to take me to the mall because I always wanted to go to the mall when I was about that age. And I remember go, her taking me to the mall and then I would tell her, Mom, can you walk 10 steps behind me at the mall because I don't want to see anybody and, they, and then for them to realize I'm here with my mom. I, sometimes I didn't even treat my mom like a person during those years of my life. And so today, like many of you, I'm going to make a phone call. If your mom is still living, I'm sure you're probably going to do this too. I'm going to make a phone call today to my mom, and I'm going to say, Mom, I'm proud of the person you are. I, I'm proud of the way you raised me and my brother and my sister. I, I'm proud of the sacrifices that you made. I'm thankful for all, all that you had to put up with from us in order to raise us. 
I'm going to thank her in response to what she has been and what she's done in my life. You get the, where, where I'm going with this? I'm going to, it's, it's a response. I'm going to say thank you and honor her. Oftentimes, that's how worship is in our lives. We thank God and we respond to him in worship for what he's done in the past, for his acts in the stories of the Bible, for his acts in creation, for the way he's interacted in our lives, for prayers he's answered. That's oftentimes the way we see worship, but then we stop there. And that's the problem is when we stop there and we cut ourselves off from, the, from the, the bigger piece of what God wants to do in our lives. We cut ourselves off from the encouragement and the hope that we could have in Christ. And what I want to get you to begin to see is how to take the next step. Because what we have to do is we have to learn how to begin to, to worship God in anticipation of what he's going to do. For the victory he's already won on our behalf to begin to worship him in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. I'm telling you, you know, maybe you've worried about it, you've been anxious about it, you've been scared about it, you've complained about it, you've, maybe you've even prayed about it. The question is, have you worshipped him in the middle of it? Have you broken open your alabaster jar? Have you poured yourself out and worship and offered yourself fully to him in the middle of whatever it is you're going through? Worship is not just response. Sometimes it's anticipation. Uh, Bob Goff tells a really great story. I love Bob Goff. Maybe some of you have read some of his books. He tells the story that when he found out his wife was pregnant and that they were going to be having a little girl, he went home and he got a piece of paper. And on the piece of paper, he wrote, I forgive you for crashing my car. And then he took the piece of paper and put it in a plastic bag and he buried it in his backyard. 16 years later, his daughter crashes his car. And so she comes home and she's crashed his car and he hands her a shovel and he tells her where to go dig in the backyard. He tells her, go dig a hole in the backyard. So she goes out there, 16-year-old girl, she goes out there with a shovel. She thinks she's being punished. She thinks she's in trouble and she digs until she finds this plastic bag with this note inside. And when she comes inside and she realizes what this note is, she says to her dad, dad, you forgave me before I was born? That's the gospel. That's what God the Father has done for you. That's the relationship we have with him. Your forgiveness is not based on something that you do or some victory that you win on your behalf by, by your own performance. Your forgiveness it is yours, no matter what happens in your life from here on out, because of what Jesus did on your behalf on the cross. The victory he won on your behalf on the cross is the basis for why you can have hope, why you can have a future, and why you can have anticipation for not just life now, but life for all of eternity. So we worship, not just in response to what God has done, but we worship in anticipation of heaven in anticipation of the victory that he's already won, of the celebration that we're going to have for all of eternity. Here's why that matters. Worship doesn't just happen in a bright church auditorium. I don't know about you, but I miss gathering on Sunday mornings as the church. I miss coming into the auditorium. I miss worshiping. I miss hearing all the voices of all of God's people gathered it physically in one room singing and worshiping. I miss that. I have no idea how long it's going to be until we're finally able to really, to really experience that again. 
And I found myself just missing that. Even Sunday to Sunday, I just miss gathering and experiencing that. But what I want you to hear is worship isn't something that just happens on Sunday in a worship auditorium with a, with a sound system. Worship happens anywhere and everywhere. Worship happens in the ICU room of the hospital when you don't know whether your loved one's going to pull through or not. Worship happens at the funeral of your loved one when you know that they knew Jesus and you know you're going to see them again. I'm thinking about my friend Nathan Hagen right now. I know some of his family members are watching right now simply because of the way he lived his life and he passed away this past week. And, and we can worship right now in the middle of that reality because Nathan knew Jesus and we're going to see him again. You, you can worship right now before you know whether or not God answered your prayer, before you know whether or not you're pregnant or not, before you got the job. You can worship it right now, whether you, you know, even when you don't know when the economy is going to open, when it's going to be safe again, when everybody, all your loved ones are going to be able to gather again and see you again. You can worship right now in the midst of that because he's already won the victory. The reality we're in right now is not where we find our hope. We find our hope. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. We find our hope in the person of Jesus and the victory he's already won on our behalf. So sometimes worship isn't a response to what is. Sometimes worship is a celebration that this isn't all there is. I don't know about you. I need worship right now. I have found in the last few weeks, I desperately need every single day to disconnect from the news and from you know social media and from uh, Zoom calls and you know homeschool with my kids and I what I'll do is I'll just put uh, my AirPods in and I'll just go for a walk and I'll just listen to worship music and I need to just fix my eyes on the person of Jesus and what He's done and I just need to worship. I need worship right now. It connects me to God. It elevates my vision. It, it gives me hope. There is a hope that is the anchor for our souls. And we find it when we decide that we're going to put ourselves in a posture to worship. And so I want to challenge you, find time every day right now to disengage from whatever's going on and worship. Not go to God and ask him for a bunch of stuff. Not go to God and, you know, and, and it's okay to feel however you feel. It's okay to complain. It's okay to feel sad or feel frustrated. But make sure you stop and take time to actually worship him. And you'll be amazed at what he begins to do in your life, at, at the way he begins to change your posture and your perspective. And maybe you're in a place in life right now where uh, maybe you feel like, man, I, I can't worship. I just can't do that. I don't even know how to do that. And, and maybe the reason that you can't is because, is because maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you're like the other people sitting at that table and you don't know what that woman knew. That woman, she understood something that the rest of the people in the room didn't understand. She had a hope that was the anchor for her soul, no matter what her past had been, no matter what her, her present reality was, because she knew Jesus. So I want to encourage you, entrust your life to him. Break yourself open, pour yourself out, give your life fully to Jesus, and let him begin to be the hope for, that is the anchor for your soul and begin to worship him for who he is. I'd love for us just to be able to sing a little bit together about the victory that he's won for us. And then I'll close us with a word of prayer. All right. It's so good to be able to sing together and just to celebrate what God has done, the victory that he's won on our behalf. 
I want to encourage you. I'd love to just offer a prayer. And if you're at a point in your life where you're saying, yes, I know I need to entrust my life to Christ. I need to take that step and, you know, lean into that hope that is the anchor for our souls, no matter what's in our circumstances. I'd love for you to just, if you're watching on our live stream, if you could just click the button that says uh, raise a hand and just let us know that you're making that decision. We want to be able to celebrate with you. So as I pray, go ahead and click that button and let us know. Um, and then I just love to offer a prayer for us. So Lord Jesus, we just come before you right now, just like that woman so many years ago. And, and we celebrate just the way your word says that wherever the gospel is preached, we celebrate that act that she did, that moment of worship before you. And when you hadn't even died on the cross yet on her behalf, she still worshiped you. And we come to you in the same way, God, right in the midst of our world that is very broken, right in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our anxieties. And Jesus, we break ourselves open this morning. We pour ourselves out in worship to you. We give you our all. We hold nothing back. We reserve nothing for ourselves. We give ourselves fully to you and entrust our lives to you. So Jesus, would you be Lord of our lives? Would you, as we turn to you in worship this week, would you encourage us? Would you remind us who you are? Would you remind us about the victory you've already won on our behalf? And may we live from that place of hope in the midst of our circumstances right now. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.